you can be seated this morning. Good to be in God's house, amen. Hey, I want to say uh, on behalf of our team here, thank you so much for uh, your show of appreciation uh, last weekend. It was just beautiful, and uh, we, we have just been so encouraged uh, by our, our pastor appreciation gifts and offerings and sentiments and all of that. Thank you so much, and uh, it, it does my heart good. You know, I, I can't tell you um, how many... Uh, how many pastors I've talked to over the years that, you know, the church just uh, doesn't have it together in that area. It's not the culture uh, to, to just honor the, the leadership, but, uh, but we're so thankful that, uh, that you all have done that for us. And ELT did a fantastic job putting it together. Let's give them a hand. And uh, so praise God. Love you all so much. Um, hey, this morning I'm going to uh, move into a, a, a week, maybe two weeks, on the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and we have a book there at the back that I contributed to. Scott Erickson, our former pastor here a number of years ago, contributed to. Uh, this is called Helping Others Receive the Gift. If you want more information about anything that I'm talking about today, uh, you can probably find some information there. Um, and uh, also I wanted to mention to you about uh, last week our Lighthouse Tribe Writers uh, uh, devotional for kids called God Questions. It's available in the bookstore as well. So I uh, wanted to put a plug in for that. Praise God. <clears throat> and I'm so appreciative for a pastor's wife in a number of ways. She took the pressure off because in 30 years I've never used the, the term butt crack from this pulpit. <laughs> And I didn't know where she was going, but, you know, when you start out with a, with a half a butt cheek, the crack is not far away. <laughs> in, uh, in every marriage, uh, there's probably one truth teller and one grace giver. You want to guess who the truth teller is in our family? And uh, so, <laughs> so she just shoots it straight. So last week we talked uh, about the, the giant of offense and how uh, offense can really rob us and, and you know, hinder us from uh, being everything that God wants us to be. And so I'm going to kind of follow up on that uh, because here's, uh, here's an observation for many, many years in ministry is that when we are offended, God can't fully use us the way he wants to use us. Um, it, uh, the, the land of offense is a dry and weary land. When you are entrapped uh, by a, an offense that's related, always related to your past, uh, you bring the past into the present and you, and you can't experience the, the life that God wants you to experience because uh, what God wants you to experience is from here and then into the future. When you're offended, you're tied to the past. You're anchored back there, and, and you can't get to what God wants you to get to. Well, part of what God wants you to experience on a daily basis is a refreshing of his spirit. He wants you to be refreshed daily. He wants you to, to experience his presence on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And so today I'm going to talk with you a little bit about how that looks and, and what that ought to be. The title of the message is a little bit of a, 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 little bit of a, a double entendre there. I want you to understand where I'm coming from. The, the idea of taking authority over your tongue 
doesn't, doesn't mean that you've, got, uh, that you've got authority over your tongue. In fact, we're going to talk about the fact today that, uh, according to James, no man can tame the tongue. In other words, you can't control it, but what you can do is you can bring it under somebody else's authority. You can yield your tongue to God. And so I want to talk to you today about uh, biblically what that represents and what it means, and then some practical steps about it. So in, uh, in your Bible, Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to give you the backstory back of the first 15 verses, and then we'll jump into uh, verse 16. Um, in Numbers chapter 11, the children of Israel, probably a couple of million of them by this time, they are sick and tired of manna. They've had manna every day, every day, every day. They're, they're into this journey, right? We know it's a 40-year journey that they're taking, wandering around in the wilderness, but every day it's manna. Every, anybody in here get hangry? You get hangry when you get hungry. You get, you know, blood, blood sugar drops, and pretty soon you just ain't yourself, right? Snickers has done a wonderful job of uh, making sure we've, uh, we've now coined the phrase hangry. But uh, the, the children of Israel were hangry. They were tired of that same old manna. They wanted some meat to go along with their bread. It just wasn't looking good. And then, and then this is one of these rare moments where Moses just gets fed up. He just holds up his hand and says, God, did I birth all these children? They're not mine. You know, all this pressure, all this responsibility, it's too much. And so God says, okay, Moses, I'll help you out. I'll give you some people to come alongside of you so that the people won't keep wearing you out and you can share the burden of the people together with others. So, you know, at, for leaders, uh, it's possible because uh, leaders are trying to make sure the people have everything they need that, that leadership can be a huge burden. And this is one of those moments where God steps in and says, Moses, I'm going to help you out. So in verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I love how God just is so practical and so personable that he comes down. He says, Moses, I'm going to talk to you. And we know he had this relationship with Moses that he could speak to him face to face. He said, I will come down and speak with you. Uh, and I will take of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and I will put that same spirit on them. Now, we know it's the big S. It's the Holy Spirit. I will, I will put the, that same spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. So in verse 24, this is the fulfillment of what happened. So Moses went out, told the people what the Lord has said, and he brought together the 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. This was the tent of meeting that people didn't normally walk up to. Because that's where God would dwell with Moses and a cloud would come down and, and God would talk to Moses about what was going on with the camp, what they needed to do next, what the people needed. And so he was always receiving his instructions from the Lord, but the people didn't want to come close. Now they've had a little bit of time and so these 70 elders are, are, are told, come close, come up closer, come stand around the tent of meeting. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, that is Moses, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. I, I want you to understand from this that this, this scripture is, uh, is giving us some insight about God that when the spirit came down, they prophesied. 
When the Spirit of God comes down in your life, you're going to speak words that He inspires. The Holy Spirit is a speaking spirit. The Holy Spirit, there are a lot of things that can happen in the church and we can point to and say this was God or that wasn't God or whatever the case may be. But the Holy Spirit himself, he is a speaking spirit. He, when, when God moves, he speaks. When God wants to minister to people, he speaks. This is, a, this is a, a so germane, so essential that you get a hold of this. Because a lot of times people say, well, you know, what's God up to? What's God, what's God saying? And we understand that he is a speaking spirit. The scripture says, when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. In other words, they were, they were authorized. God was showing the rest of Israel that these 70 have the same spirit on them that was on Moses. And they are now authorized to speak on God's behalf. To speak and, and to bring wisdom out. To, to bring out whatever it is that's needed. They're authorized to speak. And so uh, it says, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent. I don't know. They just were too lazy or too busy or, you know, didn't, didn't make it, whatever. Yet the Spirit also rested on them and they prophesied in the camp. Now, this is interesting. Uh, how many of you have ever found out that sometimes you discover something when things go wrong? And sometimes you don't discover a bad thing, but you discover a better thing. And this is exactly what happens here in this moment because Joshua, he gets up tight because the two didn't, you know, he was probably in charge of logistics. How many of you logistics people can get bent out of shape if everything doesn't fall in order the way it's supposed to? Yeah, I get it. You know, and so Joshua's job was to make sure all the 70 elders got up there, but two of them strayed. And yet the spirit of God comes down and they get the same prophetic utterance that the other ones did who were up at the tent of meeting. And so Joshua gets bent out of shape and he says, Moses, you need to rebuke these guys. They are not doing right. They, are not, they, they don't get the spirit because they weren't in line. If you're going to get the spirit, get in line. Right? They, had, they weren't in line. They were down they were down in the camp, and he said, hey, these guys are prophesying. And Moses stopped them. Joshua was trying to get control back. Can I tell you, just be honest. I'm just going to be honest with you here. I mean, we're in church, right? Whenever the Spirit of God moves, there's a grappling for control. And it starts in your own mind. And it starts in my own mind. When the Spirit of God begins to move, the, the first thing He does is lift control out of our hands. And we don't like that. Because we like to have it our way. We like doing things our way. We like things in an orderly fashion. Just show me what I'm supposed to do. Show me how this works. Can I tell you, every religion is very ordered. The top religions of the world have a lot of structure to them. But when the Spirit of God begins to move, then He lifts control. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll do what Joshua did. We'll, we'll tell God what God can and cannot do. God... You can't put your spirit on two guys down in the camp. Who are you, God? 
You said everybody was supposed to come up around. Well, the, the, the ones up around the tent of meeting, that's okay. But those two guys down there in the camp, they, are, they should not be prophesying right now. Right? And so here's, here's what Moses, the lawgiver, says. He said, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. He said, not just 70 elders, but a couple of million Jews. I want all of God's people to have the spirit. I wish that the spirit would be on all the people. Now, that's just Moses and the lawgiver's wish. Now, I'm going to stand here in the place of Moses. Do I look like Moses? No. I shaved my beard last night. Moses is the lawgiver, and he wishes, right? He just says, I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on all God's people. But then we know that there were prophets. You got the law, you got the prophets, right? Um, normally, when you see the law and the prophets together, like, for instance, on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, you see Moses and Elijah together and Jesus together with them. But I'm going to mention another prophet for a moment, Joel. Joel, in Joel chapter 2, said what Moses wished from Numbers chapter 11, Joel says, in the last days, it's going to be fulfilled. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. That means a rich flesh, poor flesh. Doesn't matter what color you are, flesh. Doesn't matter how old you are, flesh. Doesn't matter how much money you got, flesh. All flesh. God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That was Joel chapter 2. He said, this is what's going to happen. And then we have this other picture here that happens that Jesus said, wait in the city until you receive the gift my father has promised. For God, for uh, John baptized in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so the fulfillment of the law, the wish, and the prophets, the promise, is the fulfillment happens under the ministry of Jesus. This is a pattern that God wants us to see very clearly has happened in the Bible. That God brought into, into the reality that God has poured out his spirit upon all flesh. In, in Acts chapter 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me talk to you about spiritual language for a second. Now, there were three manifestations or uh, visible signs that you could have seen if you were standing there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. You would have heard a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. Any of you have ever been through a tornado, you know exactly what that sounds like. Sounds like a train. Sounds like a huge train coming through. And so there was a sound of a, of a, of a violent wind, and then there were flickers of flame. And you, you would have, have had a flicker of flame above your head, and I would have had a flicker of flame above my head. I like what uh, 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 Robert Morris talks about. He said, I don't think you could see your own flame. Like you do that, and the little flicker goes back behind you, and you can't see it. But I can see yours, and you can see mine. And we're looking around. I don't see it. I don't see it. You sure you got it? Yeah, I, I don't know. But you you got it. Well, you got it too. And, and we needed that affirmation from the, the rest of the body. There was a flicker of flame. Every person had a flame. 
Every person had a flame over their life. And then they all began to speak in a spiritual language that they had never learned. Now, if you follow through the book of Acts, and you can do your own research on this, uh, but I'll tell you what's there. What you're going to find is you never hear the sound of the rushing mighty wind repeated. And you never see the flickers of flame repeated, but what you do see repeated and what the early church banked on was that as the Holy Spirit was poured out, spiritual language would be a result. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, what we call the Gentile Pentecost, the Gentiles weren't there in Acts chapter 2 because they weren't allowed. But uh, in Acts chapter 10, while Peter is still speaking these words uh, about Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says that they, they heard them speak in tongues and prophesy. Now, let me tell you, if the, the Gentiles, pardon this phrase, are the redheaded stepchildren of the, no, you know, no offense to all redheaded stepchildren everywhere, but, uh, but, uh, but they were not the odd people out. They were the odd people out as far as the Jews were concerned, but not as far as God was concerned. And the first thing that they witnessed was that here were these Gentiles speaking in this spiritual language. What did God do, just like he did in Joshua's day? The Spirit comes upon whom he will. And the Bible says he will put him on all flesh. And so they couldn't keep the Gentiles from being baptized in water and joining the church because the Spirit of God had come and rested upon them. How did they know that? They heard them speaking in spiritual language and prophesying. Because where the Spirit is, there will be speech. Where the Spirit is, there will be speaking in language. Sometimes in known languages, sometimes in other languages, right? Now, why is this important for us today? Why, Pastor Ken, you said you're going to talk about the tongue and you're talking about tongues. Here's what I want you to understand. Uh, what I want you to understand is that you and I don't have the human capacity to control our tongue. Some of you know that more than others. <laughs> How many of you know there's different ways to get into sin? Some people get into sin quietly, and then there's you. You get into sin loudly. I don't, what, are you, what are you talking about, Pastor Ken? You're calling, I'm, yeah, because we all do, right? Some, how many of you say, I wish I hadn't said that? How many of you are, are, are mature enough to get to the place where you got to this point, you said, I probably shouldn't say this. That's just the introduction to whatever thing you shouldn't have said. You should have just shut it off right then. As soon as that idea comes into your head, I probably shouldn't say this. Don't even say that. Because then everybody else is, well, you might as well come on out with it. Don't do it, right? right. So, so, you know, but here's, here's my point. The Bible says in James, no man can tame the tongue. In other words, he's saying just a very black and white statement that you and I, can't, we just can't control that part of us. But here's what we can do. We can yield it. And when you learn to yield your tongue and take authority instead of taking your tongue, taking authority means I'm placing my tongue under the authority of another. And when I begin to do that, what I find is that I miss it when I'm not. Oh, let me explain that a little bit more. I can tell when I'm speaking by the Spirit. And I can tell when I'm speaking by the flesh. 
I can tell when, I'm, when uh, there are words of encouragement and words of wisdom that will flow when I'm speaking by the Spirit. Notice I'm not just talking about spiritual language and tongues here. I'm talking about English. You know, the, the amazing thing that happens in my private time, in my quiet time, when I, when I operate in this grace of spiritual language that nobody else knows about, I, you wouldn't know that about me unless I told you. Because I don't broadcast it. It doesn't do you any good, but it does me a world of good. But here's what happens. When I spend time praying in that unknown language, then when I get ready to speak in a language that other people know, guess what happens? People say this to me, and this is a regular occurrence. I don't know what it is, but it seems like you're just speaking to me. Well, I'm not that good. Because we might have a crowd of 80 and we might have a crowd of eight. We might have a crowd that, that people are in their senior years, and then we might have some teenage years. How is it that that same response, it's the person of the Holy Spirit, it's not me. It's not me. But if I spend my time yielding this most unruly member of my life, the Bible says I'm speaking mysteries. And when I speak mysteries with my spirit, the Holy Spirit answers back in wisdom.